We're here today for the Adipec Virtual Energy Dialogues. The theme of this conversation is building the future. How will decarbonization strategies be positioned post COVID-19? And I'm delighted to have Mario Marin with us, the CEO of Wintershall Dea, the largest independent oil and gas company in Europe. Mario, wonderful to see you again. Thanks for being with us. So much to talk about. Um, I just wanna start by asking you a little bit about what this last few months has been like for you as for you as a leader, for Wintershaldea as a company, for your people uh, in the midst of this historic pandemic, this historic oil market crash, uh, a huge number of challenges. Talk a little bit about what it's been like to, to manage that, uh, manage the company through this period of turmoil and what learnings and lessons you've, you've derived from that. Jason, indeed. I mean, uh, I, I think calling 2020 a challenging year is, uh, uh, quite a mild expression for what actually has been happening. We entered the year with already very low gas prices in Northwestern Europe. Then we have seen the pandemic and the, the oil price uh, crash. I think for us, we had, um, as many companies, three priorities. The first priority was obviously the health and safety of our people. The second one was uh, business continuity, making sure that, that Wintersaldea continues to produce energy that is uh, still needed by the world. And thirdly, obviously, look into our, our cash positions. So uh, looking at these three parameters, um, we have already in March started to work from home. We have sent uh, basically all administrative staff uh, uh, to work from from home. Um, we have reduced the operational facility staffing to the bare minimum. Um, and with that, we have actually been able to limit the impact of COVID-19 on both our administrative processes, but also on production, which is, which is uh, stable, um, I have to say. Um, at the same time, um, we have uh, looked into our investment programs, we have reduced CAPEX, we have reduced exploration, we have done some cost cutting. So um, I think we have done everything to keep um, our cash together, to keep liquidity um, sufficient in order to maneuver Wintersaldea through this uh, unprecedented crisis. And we have been successful with that. So we have a, have a very strong and solid uh, uh, liquidity cushion that, that helps us moving forward. I think um, the, since you asked what, what might last coming out of this, this crisis, um, uh, to me, I would say COVID-19 is the digital employee of the year. Um, I think it has done, um, it has given a significant push towards uh, making Wintersaldea even more digital. I think a lot of tools that we are using, a lot of um, formats, a lot of interactions uh, came into Wintersaldea at, at, at the speed of lightning, basically. Um, and I would not have envisaged that. So, so I'm extremely proud. Um, of the team. I'm extremely proud how we have managed the situation so far. And, and people start really appreciating flexibility uh, as working from home, not to, not to commute on a daily basis. So it's a challenging and demanding situation, but also a great experience. Yeah. And Mario, in, in recent weeks, obviously, we've seen some of the major oil and gas companies around the world reporting uh, some of their worst quarterly results in, in history. Looking at uh, at how companies are responding to this downturn, some of the recent cuts in capex, can you talk about w how different the industry is going to look moving forward? And in particular, when we think of the energy transition, the subject of our discussion today, do you think uh, trying to address issues around uh, around emissions 
uh, starts to take a back seat in the context of these economic struggles? Well, first of all, I think um, the industry and also we as Winter Soldier have taken the right steps in looking into uh, spendings and, and reducing spendings uh, significantly. Um, we as Winter Soldier always had the strategy to uh, be a resilient company, a company for all seasons. Um, we have uh, industry low production costs per unit, and, and I think that's that's important to have that because I'm convinced we are going to see more of this volatility and potentially extreme volatility in, in the future. At the same time, we are not free uh, uh, of what's happening, so we will also see an impact on Winter Saldea's figures when we go out next week uh, with the with the Q two financial statements. With regard to energy transition, um, from my personal point of view, this is uh, the most essential question of our times, and I think it's not going to change. So uh, we, as a company, as Winter Saldea, and I'm as the CEO of. We are going to tackle this issue with what we can, with uh, our strategy, with our company, with our technologies. Um, I'm not a big supporter of this theory that um, the work on energy transition will get a setback because of uh, this pandemic. Um, it, it simply remains uh, too important. And I think not a single company can afford to say, um, I'm stepping back because of the pandemic. And what do you see, let's talk just for a minute about kind of where energy markets are headed as the world continues to deal with the impact of, of coronavirus. We're seeing demand recover, although obviously some parts of it like jet fuel are going to be impaired for a while. Uh, do, you think, do you think we've seen peak, peak oil? Are we in for lower for longer oil prices? How do you see the market evolving? I, I, I don't, unfortunately, I don't have the crystal ball to, to, to tell you that. Uh, when, it, when it comes to the, to the oil demand, um, I would say it will take quite a while to get back to the pre-crisis levels. I mean, you talked about, about jet fuel. I, I would say transportation uh, in a whole uh, will, will suffer for quite a while. We have been in more or less a lockdown mode in many places for, for four to five months now. And people get used to having meetings uh, in a virtual way. People get used to travel less um, and, and benefit from that. So I think it will take really a while before, before that recovers. Also, uh, we have to see if a second wave of the pandemic is coming. If it comes, it will have a significant impact again on, on oil demand, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, on the gas side, however, I, I see it more positive. I mean, um, as, as, as every year, it will depend a little bit on, on how the winter season is going. Will we see uh, on, in the northern hemisphere um, uh, average or below average temperatures? But, but I think uh, the gas demand is going to pick up uh, quicker than, than the oil demand. And we could see that already in, in parts of Asia, actually. I think you you see look you clearly see it in in Asia and then one of the drivers uh, is is continuing to be the replacement of coal by gas in order to to reduce emissions that that has been a major driver uh, already over the last uh, couple of, of years uh, you will see a similar uh, effect in parts of Europe uh, Germany where we are based is uh, phasing out of coal and and, and gas and renewables are uh, kind of taking the place of, of, of coal there um, and there there are others uh, going to come so so I definitely think the underlying trend for for gas uh, is okay although we we, we have to um, uh, state also that that currently we have an oversupply of gas also like we have for, for oil and prices are suffering, but, but they came, came back quite nicely over the last couple of days. 
I guess in, in, in the oil markets, there are some areas you might even see a little bit of a boost to demand. We obviously are seeing uh, uh, mass transit levels in cities like Beijing uh, quite a bit lower than they were before the pandemic and, uh, and car ownership starting to inch up. So there may be some cases. But, but. Absolutely, but, but I think these impacts are, are, are really difficult to, to assess uh, now and, and therefore I'm saying I don't, I, don't have, uh, I, I don't have the crystal ball. What will also be interesting uh, looking forward is um, uh, seeing how actually the capex cuts that, that were quite massive now are going to impact the supply side. So, so I, I hope that this entire situation is not leading into um, actually a, a supply problem in 18, 24, 36 months uh, time from, from now. So I think we also as an industry have to learn um, how to actually make sure that uh, the cut in, in, in potential production in the future is not equivalent uh, to the cut in, in CARPEX. In other words, how can we become more effective and efficient with the money we are spending in CARPEX? Yeah, I mean, uh, interested to get your take on that because there's um, there is a, some concern you hear that you know the that we may be setting ourselves up for an underinvestment cycle if demand uh, does does recover. And you talked about the cutbacks in, in CapEx, and, and some of this is driven by, um, we've seen these large commitments from some oil firms, particularly the European majors, moving to the topic of energy transition uh, toward increased investment in, in, in renewables, uh, net zero by 2050 targets, and rising social pressures to show that business models are aligned with our long-term climate goals. What what what's your reaction to those sort of net zero by 2050 targets? Um, what does that mean for the market in the near to medium term? And then you know how, how does a, a very large independent like Wintershaldea think about its role in a, in the energy transition and and transitioning potentially to lower carbon types of energy? Well. Um... We are for sure also coming out during the course of, of the year with, with our ambition levels with regards to um, reduction of, of emissions, with our contribution to um, the, the, the net zero targets. Um, but it's too early to, to, to make an uh, announcement on that one now. In, in principle, um, Wintersaldea is contributing a lot to reducing emissions with its gas strategy. Um, I'm still convinced that we are not going to succeed in managing the energy transition if we don't have a clear focus on on gas uh, short and, and midterm. Uh, I think this is uh, both an effective but also an affordable way of reducing emissions and, and that's why we, by the way, call Winter Saldea a gas and oil company. We are 70% gas and only 30% oil and, and I think this is a very dominant part um, of our energy transition approach. At the same time, I think Vitasaldea um, uh, uh, will look and is looking actually into technologies that are close to our business and supporting the energy transition. Uh, hydrogen is one. Uh, we have a fantastic cooperation with the uh, Karlsruhe Institute for Technology uh, working on pyrolysis, so uh, making uh, uh, industrial production CO2 free when you look into steel and, and, and similar uh, processes. We are looking into, into CCS um, uh, having some 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 first uh, pilot projects, um, for example, in Denmark, look, looking into activities in in Norway. I think this is something where where we, with our competencies and capabilities as Wintersaldea, 
can add value. I don't see us uh, uh, investing into renewables like the majors uh, do. That's that's uh, simply a different different ball game where where I don't think we are uh, positioned in a in a in a favorable way. And obviously, the role the role of natural gas in in a deeply decarbonized world is um, is one that does require additional technologies to be brought to bear. It's the, the the question of whether there should be investment in gas infrastructure today, and the role of gas is one that, as you know, is is controversial in discussions in in, in Brussels. Um, just from your perspective, what what do people there um, need to understand, and what does the industry need to do to show that? there should be a role for natural gas in a world that is moving to, um, to get to very deep decarbonization or net zero targets? I, uh, my first recommendation to everybody actually, in particular policymakers, would be be technology open. Uh, uh, at the end, I think we need, we need uh, carbon-free energy. I think hydrogen is going to play uh, a major part in that. Uh, but it will take time. Um, and as long as hydrogen is carbon free, I think we shouldn't care whether it's the so-called green hydrogen or the blue hydrogen or the turquoise hydrogen. Um, we should talk about hydrogen. And, and, and that's the, the most concerning part about the debate currently in, in, in Europe, but also uh, in Germany. It's a very dogmatic uh, discussion around green hydrogen. And that's having a little bit uh, the, 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 the problem that on the one hand side, um, there is not sufficient and, and and, and cost-efficient uh, hydrogen production. On the other hand side, there are no uh, applications. Um, so I think we have to overcome that. And from my perspective, the only way to overcome this is really to, to be technology open, to make sure that, that we can decarbonize uh, natural gas and, and then create a hydrogen market. And, and that's actually something where, where we as Winter Saldea are quite, quite eagerly working on uh, because we think this is a key component of a successful energy transition. It does seem, you know, our analysis shows, you know, blue hydrogen today um, lower cost than green hydrogen. The question is sort of where the market is headed and what you can scale. And, and there does seem to be a very strong focus now on trying to figure out how to bring down the cost of electrolyzers and scale up renewable energy to make green, green hydrogen. That, that seems to be where the focus of a lot of the discussion in, in Brussels is. How do you see things playing out as between green and blue hydrogen and the balance moving forward? Well, as I, as I said before, I think we as an industry need to make sure that blue hydrogen uh, remains on the table as, as an option because, as you rightly said, it is currently the most cost-effective option that, that we have um, and it's, it's currently also the one option where uh, we have sufficient capacity. Um, I, I mean, if you look at hydrogen coming purely from renewables, that requires a massive investment uh, and uh, massive uh, resources, not only from a money point of view, but we are talking about land, uh, we are talking about setting up new windmills, we are talking about uh, setting up new solar farms, we are talking about new infrastructure. All that needs time and needs also social acceptance. So I think it would be a shame if we wouldn't make use of the infrastructure that we are having if we wouldn't make use of uh, the energy source that, that we are having. And, and therefore, um, uh, people like myself, like, like some others in our industry, um, continue to make sure that uh, while Brussels uh, prefers to talk about green hydrogen, they are not forgetting uh, blue hydrogen. What sort of policy do you, do you think, would you like to see come out of Brussels? And then obviously EU leaders just, just reached an agreement 
uh, on a new green stimulus package, the next generation EU, uh, to, to make fighting climate change central to Europe's economic recovery. What, what was your reaction to that package? What did you like and not like about it? Well, I, what, what I like about the package is that it's giving, in a way, uh, a clear target uh, where, it's, where it's much more unspecific is how to get there. And, and, and that's um, uh, one, of the, one of the issues you, you quite often have when you look at these kind of policies coming in particular out of the uh, European uh, Commission. So, uh, in, in other words, it's talking um, a lot about green hydrogen, but it's not saying what is actually necessary in order to get there. Um, in an industrial scale for um, a continent like Europe, which is still highly industrialized. And, and, and people tend to forget that. We, we are in competition as a continent with producers in the US, uh, in China, and, and we need to have uh, access to competitively priced um, energy. And, 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 and therefore, I would have wished, as I said, a little bit more open-mindedness in terms of technology and a little a bit more realism also uh, with regard to what can be achieved uh, with uh, green hydrogen in what period of time and, and uh, acknowledging uh, a little bit louder and clearer um, that blue hydrogen is needed to simply get to the targets. Mario, as Europe begins to apply more climate-related screens to its energy imports, it's talking about a carbon border adjustment. Um, what more can be done to ensure sort of the, 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 the continue and, and European gas imports, I, I assume you think will probably continue to rise. Um, what do you think can, uh, how do you think that's going to play out and what is that going to mean for different sources of imports, including those planned uh, for delivery through, through Nord Stream 2, two perhaps? Well, I think first of all, we, we need to make sure that uh, we get the right methane pass, that we get the right methane information and, and, and measurements. And, and that's also something where the methane guiding principles are, are working on um, in order to get transparency. Uh, what is actually the methane emission level of certain sources of gas? I think there is a lot of uh, estimations and guesstimates currently out there. So it's difficult to say what that at the end would, would mean. With regard to the, the, the border adjustment tax, I'm a little bit skeptical on, 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 on how that is uh, supposed to work, um, given that we have uh, WTO uh, uh, regulations uh, picking, picking different countries and, and, and adding taxes to, to their products, I, I think is going to be difficult. I, I, I think uh, you might also find uh, different ways uh, like, like uh, uh, methane emissions prices that you, you could uh, bring out there. And again, creating transparency so that, that people are aware of what they're doing when they're actually uh, buying a product. Coming forward, what, what, what role for companies that are really serious and focused on trying to reduce methane, like, like Wintershaldea, what can be done to help kind of improve the... Uh, the footprint in that regard. Yeah, I think it, it, it starts with, with, with our operations, uh, where we really need to go into each and every facility, uh, identify where we have uh, fugitive uh, methane emissions, and, and then uh, stop them. Um, I think that's a, that's a very important step. And, and then, of course, uh, since many of the IOCs and NOCs are part of the methane guiding principles, if, if we all do it in our operations. Um, it should be an obvious thing that it also happens in partner operated activities. Uh, so we should see quite some some progress uh, there. And, and then um, 
of course, there's there's still one thing happening in the world which is flaring, which is uh, I think something uh, nobody is proud of in in the industry, uh, which which definitely needs to be tackled uh, in a in a in a stricter way. I mean, uh, Winter Saldea is is part of the World Bank initiative. We have banned uh, flaring in routine operations uh, for quite a while already. And nevertheless, uh, this is this is still going to be an, an issue. And at the end, it should be an issue that that uh, can be solved. Um, economically, because if, if you don't flare your product, uh, you hopefully can sell it. Yeah, certainly it's been an in, uh, fo increased focus in the U.S. where you've seen flaring rates in the Permian quite quite high. Absolutely. And if we start to see U.S. LNG exports once again show up in Europe, uh, I expect the scrutiny on that will uh, will increase, not decrease, moving forward. Well, well, abs absolutely. That's that's one of the discussions that you're going to have about the methane footprint of uh, of gas arriving in in, in Europe. I mean, uh, of course, there's a lot of uh, discussions about the reliability of measurements in Russia, but I think we have the same story when we look in to the US. So, so that's definitely going to be a topic. And what, um, I mean, one of the questions about what the role for gas will be will certainly just be the future of gas pricing. What trend do you see for long-term contracts versus gas on gas competition and hub-based pricing? And can European gas import prices stay this low? And if not, what range do you see them returning to? Well, I, I, I think uh, European import prices will stay relatively low, uh, hopefully not as low as they are currently, uh, but we have a good supply situation. Um, that is that is uh, one of the benefits of having infrastructure leading to everywhere, be it pipelines to Russia, to Norway, uh, be it LNG um, terminals. So, so we have everything. And, and I think that's a, that's a great uh, benefit, a great positive uh, for, for Europe. Um, so all in all, I think we will have a very well supplied market um, uh, and that will prevent prices from, from, from spiking. In terms of pricing mechanisms, for the very same reason, I think we will see more and more the hub-based pricing. I think longer-term pricing mechanisms are going to disappear. Uh, you see also a con convergence of uh, the, the, the price levels in uh, in the U.S., in Europe, and and in Asia. Um, uh, 18 months ago, 24 months ago, I think we were still talking three different kind of market areas. Now it gets uh, much much closer to together. Everything is is, is much more interlinked. Uh, so we, we we might develop into also a global uh, gas pricing, just like we have. We. Um we talked about the role of gas as we shift toward deep decarbonization. You talked about repurposing gas infrastructure toward things like hydrogen. Do you think, say, renewable natural gas might, might be part of decarbonization, uh, refined as biogas and then injected into natural gas pipelines? Sure. As, as I said, I think uh, the, the, the key to a successful energy transition is to be technology open uh, and in addition uh, to try to make as much uh, out of existing infrastructure as possible because uh, infrastructure activities, infrastructure construction is not amongst uh, the most favorable things, at least in, in Europe. Um, so uh, I, I think um, uh, Everything that has been discussed around power to gas, uh, around using existing uh, gas uh, pipeline infrastructure for be it hydrogen, be it renewable gas, uh, should be looked into. Uh, absolutely. Do you, you talked earlier about, you know, Wintershall Day, I think, has, <clears throat> I've heard you talk before about the importance of technology, digital uh, and automation technologies. Just tell me what you're doing in that regard, and then how, how has that changed, if at all, as a result of COVID-19, how you thought, think about the role of digital and automation technologies in the industry? 
Well, um, we always thought that, that digital is going to be a main driver for any kind of improvement in our industry. And, and we have plenty of room for, for improvement uh, in, in all spheres of our, our industry, be it in, in optimizing our production, reducing our, our emissions footprints, but, but also obviously in, in managing better uncertainties when it comes to subsurface um, activity. So uh, it was always extremely important. Um, what has changed, I think, uh, is the, the speed. I, th I think, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, the pandemic has um, even accelerated all the initiatives uh, uh, there uh, when it comes to remote uh, working, when it comes to having less people on offshore installations and, and all these kind of things. So, so that's something um, we, are, we are also working on. Um, but, but also more sophisticated things like uh, we are working on an exploration advisory tool where we use artificial intelligence that uh, we have developed together with IBM. So, so this is all things where I personally, I'm very convinced that uh, digital transformation will help uh, oil and gas companies to become uh, more efficient um, and at the end also more cost effective. And, and this, is, this is urgently needed given um, at the volatility of commodity prices that we see, given that commodity price cycles get shorter and shorter. I mean, it's, it's just six years ago that, that we have seen 2014, the oil price is going down, then it was 2009. So it's, it's, it's these days uh, no longer true that, that you see um, a cycle every 10 to 15 years. It's, it's rather every, every five to six years that something happens. And obviously, it's, I think we can understand why those sorts of digital technologies could help reduce costs if you switch toward automation, for example. Just help people watching this understand um, how, how, does it, how does it help with decarbonization? How does it help with the environmental footprint, those sorts of technologies? Yeah, I, I mean, um, we are working as Wintershaldea on what we call a digital twins. So we are having integrated digital models of our fields, like, for example, in Norway, the Brage field, like our Mittelplatte oil field in, in Germany. And integrated means you have everything from, from subsurface to the facilities in one digital model, and then you can start optimizing your production process. You can uh, have a better predictive maintenance. Uh, you, can, you can stop production when you detect, uh, uh, for example, a leakage uh, of methane uh, somewhere in order to get that better. So if production runs uh, uh, more flawlessly, uh, then, then obviously you have, you have less uh, emissions, less, less impact. And, and I think their digital can definitely play a role and is actually already playing a role. The um, Wintershaldea's IPO has been slated to be one of Europe's largest uh, 2020. How have the IPO plans been affected by the downturn and the pandemic? Well, I, I guess we have always uh, made two statements. The one is that we as a company are going to be IPO ready in 2020 and, and, and we are uh, IPO ready in 2020. The other uh, topic was, of course, that, that we and also our shareholders always said that an IPO is subject to market conditions. And, and if we see now the overall situation of commodity prices of the equity markets, then, then I don't think um, 2020 is, is a year where uh, we, should, we should float the company. And then both shareholders have also uh, said that publicly. So um, let's see what the year 2021 uh, brings. Um, we as a company, as a management team uh, are ready. I think we have a great equity story with our gas focus, uh, or with our technology focus. Uh, 
having a very resilient uh, portfolio in terms of cost. Uh, so it's a great story and, and, and we are convinced that uh, sooner or later the time will come where the company will become a public company. And, and you have such a broad global footprint, Europe, Latin America, North Africa, the Middle East. When you look out over the next several years, um, as a result of the market turmoil we've seen this year, the pandemic, um, how has your global strategy shifted at all? Are there new potential international partnerships, new markets that you think make sense? Are there certain areas that for geopolitical challenges, policy risk or anything else, you know, look better or worse right now? Well, I guess uh, geopolitical challenges you have almost everywhere where, where you are active these these days. Uh, unfortunately, I don't want to be cynical, but, but, but in fact, you have the one or the other debate uh, everywhere around the globe. I think for a company of Winters Aldea size, it is and will always be important to stay focused. So we will never try to be a global player being everywhere. I think we feel quite quite comfortable with uh, being in, in eight to ten different uh, uh, jurisdictions, uh, different different regions in, in terms of, of doing business. Um, we have some that are more mature and some that are more focused on, on growth. Uh, Abu Dhabi is, is obviously one of the areas where we want to grow. We are in Brazil, we are in Mexico with interesting uh, exploration activities. So this is the, the areas where we uh, definitely want to grow. Um, and, and then we have to see, we always have an open eye on the M&A um, market, uh, of course, and, 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 and this uh, environment will bring opportunities. Uh, but, uh, but as usual for M&A, I think it's better to announce uh, when you have something to announce. Just to close, can you, can you tell, tell us what you think Winter Shaldea looks like, say, in, in 2050? We talked earlier in the conversation about some of these long-term net zero targets, about European majors saying, you know, in 2050, we're not going to be oil and gas companies anymore. We're going to be renewable companies or electricity companies. And, and your comment that that doesn't quite make sense uh, for a large uh, ENP independent like Winter Shaldea. But if we, if we get to the deep decarbonization goals policymakers have and climate science tells us we need to or, or even anywhere close to it, what, is, what does Winter Shaldea look like as a company in 2050? Well, I think in 2050, Winter Saldea hopefully is, is a company that is uh, leading in uh, CCS technologies that is um, very involved in hydrogen, making sure that we have uh, clean hydrogen, um, continuing to produce uh, gas, um, using it for um, uh, energy, but, but then uh, in, in the form of hydrogen, uh, using uh, the sea in order to, uh, to produce chemicals whatsoever as a, as a raw material. Um, a company that, that is still producing oil, but, but hopefully this oil is then also much too precious to be burnt, but rather used in chemical processes. We should not forget that, that we use oil, we need oil for our smartphones, for, for, for uh, medicine, for whatsoever. Uh, so that's, that's a role where, where Winter Saldea is going to be active. I'm, I'm pretty convinced. And you think the policy, the, 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 the most important advice you have for policymakers in order to allow that to evolve is, is what moving forward? Um, it's, it's two things. It's, it's the technology openness that I mentioned before, but also uh, realism. Um, we, we need to be ambitious, but we also need to be realistic. And, and uh, the moment we exclude certain technologies because we think they they are not on vogue uh, from a dogmatic point of view, uh, we are not going to reach our targets. So when you say realistic, you don't mean let's move more slowly to try to deal with the climate challenge, no, uh, but you just uh, mean 
cast, a wide, cast a wide net in terms of potential solutions. Exactly, exactly. Um, it's not about being uh, slower. It's about allowing everybody uh, to to um, invest uh, to develop technologies that brings us closer to the target. And it, if then at the end the the market decides that that between green hydrogen and blue hydrogen, the green uh, the green is cheaper and 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 only green hydrogen will be sold fine. But but at the end, what we need, just to stick to the example of hydrogen, is CO2 free hydrogen. And if this is available, we shouldn't. Care too much about where it comes from. Well, things are changing very quickly in terms of technology, the uh, ESG and social pressures to deal more urgently with the threat of climate change, and then obviously a pandemic and a historic oil, oil market collapse, and doing that at a time where you're bringing two companies together and, and getting ready for an IPO. So it's been a, a challenging year, and I know how much you've had on your plate, Mario. I appreciate your making time to be with us this morning on Adipec Energy Dialogues and share some of your insights and experience and views with, uh, with all of our viewers. I really appreciate it. It was a fascinating conversation. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you very much, Jason. And then my congratulations, actually, to the organizers of Adipec. I think this is uh, an extremely valuable format that, that you have been creating here, allowing people to exchange views, even in these times where, unfortunately, it's not possible to have huge events like, like uh, Adipec in, in physical presence. Yeah, probably won't see you in person in November uh, in Abu Dhabi, but hopefully we'll see you at the Adipec virtual conference in November and, uh, and, then, and then in person the following year. So thanks again, Mario, Definitely. for your time. Thank you, Jason. Take care. Goodbye. Thank you.